Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Imagine if you discovered the person you loved most in the world was lying to you. And they'd always been lying, from the very beginning. And this lie didn't just involve you, but something much, much bigger. Something that would become one of the biggest scandals in recent British history. I'm going to take you back to the summer of 2010, to Italy. Lisa's on holiday with her boyfriend of six years. He's called Mark Stone. It's been a tough few months and it's a much-needed break in the Dolomites. That's near the border with Austria. They've got their climbing equipment and Mark's packed his bike into the van. Yeah, we'd put a mattress in the back and um, we had a little cooker. Just the two of them in the wilderness. So this was really enticing to me. Explore some more of Italy, drink lots of wine. And we had this amazing time climbing. One afternoon... Mark wants to track a famous cycling route, the Sella Ronda. It's a dramatic circuit around the highest mountain in the Dolomites. And it's one of the most beautiful bike rides in the world. He sets off alone and he circles the limestone peaks, admiring the sweeping green valleys below. Lisa, she's agreed to drive ahead and wait for him at the summit. So I was sat in the van at the top of this windy pass while he went off on a cycle. The sun's beating down bathing the mountains in a warm glow, and Lisa's rooting around in the glove box. I think I was looking for some sunglasses and, you know, there was a passport in there and there was various documents um, and there was a phone. Um, and I looked at the passport, as you do, you know, you're kind of rooting around, you just think, oh, and take a look at his passport photo. She sees the familiar picture of her boyfriend, Mark Stone, dark hair and one squinty eye. But then, something stops her cold. It, it was a name that I didn't recognise. It said Mark Kennedy. And I'd never heard that name. I'd not heard the name Kennedy at all. You know, I was surrounded by these amazingly beautiful mountains. I remember almost feeling like I was having an out-of-body experience. It almost felt like the the mountains weren't real and everything sort of felt a bit warped and a bit distorted. And then picking up the phone, opening the emails, and I found um, emails from two children calling him dad. You know, that was just jaw-dropping. I just 
didn't suddenly didn't know who I was on holiday with and I just had the moment of thinking it's just me and him and we're in the mountains and there's nobody for miles around and I've no idea who he is. I've gone back over those events of that year over and over and over and asked myself millions of times what was he playing at. This is a tale of twisted romance, of stolen identity, spies and corruption. Lisa is one of dozens of women affected, and Mark one of the many people involved. It's a tale of deception sanctioned by the British state. At its heart is a question, can we really trust anyone? Can we even trust ourselves? I'm Cara McGugan, and this is Bed of Lies. As a feature writer for The Telegraph, I speak to people who've been traumatised by abusive partners, violent crime and devastating loss. It can be quite bleak, but nothing has shocked me more than this story, the deliberate misuse of power and manipulation of people's lives. Over the past 18 months, I've got to know Lisa and many other women like her. It's been very good hearing hearing everyone's stories together. I've listened as they've shared their most private and painful memories. No, I'm fine. Just a moment. Thank you. I've been to their homes. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you at last. Jessica. I spent hours with them on video call. I can hear you fine. It looks to me like the microphone is still... And WhatsApp them late at night. Hi, Cara. It's Rosa. I want to know why these women were treated like this. Who really were the men they fell in love with? And how deep do the lies go? Episode 1. Infatuation. We're going to the 90s. It's a decade before Lisa's in the Dolomites with Mark, a world where all the old certainties have vanished. The Cold War's over, communism's washed up, and even that once reliable rallying point, the woman everyone on the left could agree to hate, Margaret Thatcher. Ladies and gentlemen, we're leaving Downing Street for the last time. Well, even she's on the way out. There's no minor strike to support, No epic struggle of East-West to join. The big issues, well, they seem to have gone away. And so the decade begins with a rave on Trafalgar Square. People fighting for the right to party. It sets the tone. Before long, Labour has a new leader. It's Tony Blair. And he says there's no left versus right anymore. Instead, everyone's sensible. Well, they should be taking the third way. Forget the past. No more bosses versus workers. We are on the same side, the same team. The Labour Party doesn't necessarily feel like a suitable home anymore for many left-wing activists. So protests around single-issue causes become popular. Maybe it's stopping a bypass. Remember this guy? I feel that it's the only way to get a voice these days. It's Swampy. He's in the news for camping in a tunnel under the A30. I mean, if I wrote a letter to my MP, would I have achieved all this? Would you lot be here now? I think not. They're interested in animal rights. Like hand out leaflets outside fur shops. Protecting the environment. We blockaded a aluminium smelt. Protesters taking matters into their own hands, like fox hunting saboteurs, or sabs as they call themselves. The sabs would get out to basically try and stop the hunt. Direct action to fight for the things they believe in. And it could be pretty full on. 
they camp outside G8 summits and rail against globalisation and capitalism. One group that might be familiar is Reclaim the Streets. They're in a fluid world. People come and go, meet up to plan different protests, whether in their local town centres or on the world stage. I'd been in Cologne at the time of the G8, but London had kicked off big time at the same time. And I was That's Rosa. Like the other women we're going to hear from, that's not her real name. After everything that's happened to her, she wants to keep her identity a secret. But I can tell you a little bit about her. She's bright and passionate, and she's got this big smile. These days, she lives in the countryside with her three children, in a place that's so remote, she has to send me a USB stick in the post when the internet's too slow. We're joining her in 1999, once the protests in Cologne have wrapped up. She's back in London to talk tactics with Reclaim the Streets. I was asked to come along and uh, support the idea of some of the European... They've got plenty coming up, including the takeover of Euston Station later in the year. After a long day of planning, they go for drinks. They're at the Cock Tavern, a classic London boozer, when she notices someone. Looking at me across the room and looking up at me all big-eyed... The guy doesn't talk to her, so Rosa thinks, well, never mind. But as it turns out, she gets another chance to speak to him at a Reclaim the Streets weekend away. One evening, she's in the kitchen, preparing dinner for everyone. Uh, And I was then on cooking duties, I was making some dal, and he came in, like, rubbing his head and being all coy and talking about my use of coriander and how good it was. Later on, he admits something to her. He tells her... I liked you from the first moment I saw you. Rosa isn't looking for a relationship. But suddenly, here's this guy, Jim Sutton. He's vegan, he shares her ideals. It's pretty exciting. And it turns out, he feels the same way. When Rosa tells him she's got feelings for him, he says... Oh my God, this is amazing. You, you, that's just like me. Oh my God, I'm not the... I, do you know that's exactly how I was feeling? We're going to come back to the story of Jim and Rosa's blossoming romance later on. They're our first couple. All the love stories we're going to hear happened over the course of 20 years, from 1990 to 2010. Don't worry too much about holding all the dates in your head. They're not that important to the story. What is important is that all these stories follow a very similar pattern. I'm going to walk you through them alongside one another. They might all sound like separate stories, but trust me, they'll all come together soon. But more on that later. For now, I want to introduce you to Alison. Hello, where are you? You look like you're in an airport. Are you in the, are you in the newsroom? You're on my phone, you're tiny, no one can see. Jeez, Louise. She's assertive and funny with these amazing curls and slightly wonky glasses. It's 1994 and she's become involved with a place called the Colin Roach Centre in Hackney. Alison's a secondary school teacher and she goes to meetings at the centre a couple of times a week. So the campaigns that we were working towards would have been anti-racist campaigns and police monitoring and police brutality and corruption. 
She likes the sense of camaraderie and enjoys meeting new people. The friends she makes there are a diverse bunch. You know, anarchists, Marxists, socialists, through to members of the Labour Party and everything in between. But she isn't as hardline as any of them. I wasn't a Labour member um, and I'm definitely not an anarchist. (laughs) There were some very serious people in the group. I wasn't one of them. Did I really ever think I was changing anything? No, not really. When a new guy turns up to a meeting for the first time, she notices him immediately. I certainly remember him arriving. He's called Mark Cassidy, and he's wearing a checked flannel shirt, the lumberjack type, and jeans. Not particularly nice jeans. And he had an earring in one ear, and he had a little scraggy ponytail and a mullet. Were you drawn to him straight away? I was, yes. With that hair? (laughs) Even with that hair. uh, I was drawn to... I mean, pathetic though it sounds, I was very drawn to his accent. What was that? He's from Birkenhead, and, uh, you know, I can't really tell the difference between a Birkenhead and a Scouse accent, so to me he just sounded like a a Scouser, which I liked a lot. So I was very drawn to his accent, and he was lovely. Like Alison, Mark's also not that serious about activism. I think one of the reasons I got on so well with Mark or what I liked about him so much was his irreverence around politics and within our group. I remember we used to joke about, you know, um, the People's Republic of Hackney or the people as the People's Republic of Tooting, you know, with Wolfie Smith. So Alison and Mark aren't that earnest. Apart from the scraggy ponytail, there is one other thing that catches her eye. He had a red van, like an old post office van. I find men who play guitars very attractive. (laughs) And men who drive vans. So they're couple number two. We have four couples in this episode. I know that's a lot of characters, but bear with me. Fast forward a decade and budding environmentalist Mark Stone arrives on the scene in Nottingham. Now remember, he's the guy in the Dolomites at the start of this episode. But just to be clear, Mark Stone isn't the same person as Mark Cassidy, the man with the Birkenhead accent. They're two different Marks. I hope it's not too confusing. So Mark Stone heads to the Sumac Centre, a community hub for activists, the kind of place where they have vegan curry boiling on the stove. He looked kind of like one of us. Um, He had kind of long hair and tattoos and piercings. Mark wants to join them at the Earth First gathering. It's a bit like Glastonbury, but for green activists. And he asks her, Is there anything I can do? I've got a van. Um, Could I help transport some stuff? It's not long before Mark and Jane are protesting in the area, picketing their local branch of Sainsbury's for having GM crops and blockading companies that want to mine local woodland. They're quite serious about it all. They become great friends and end up moving in together. Mark's quite a solitary figure at times. He can go away for days on end for work and when he is home, he spends quite a lot of time in his room. He was learning to play guitar at the time and my housemate, my then housemate, would be like, oh, he's, he's like our teenage son. He's um, you know, hardly ever here and uh, treating this house like a hotel. Their house is a bit ramshackle the sort of place where they eat leftover food and wear recycled clothes. But Mark, no, 
he'd never do that. He was a little bit unusual in that he, although he wore the right clothes in terms of like wearing a lot of black and um, looking quite punky, they were always remarkably clean. My whites have always been a bit dowdy, let's put it that way. <laughs> and his whites were um, sparkling. And his sunglasses get him a reputation too. Well, they were like, they were Oakley shades, which, you know, sort of no other um, sort of penniless campaigner um, you know, would wear something like that. So it was quite, you know, he was quite distinctive and they were they were often sort of mirrored shades. That last person is Lisa. You might remember her. As you can hear, she's from Wales. She's a gentle soul with a soft laugh and she lives by the river. She's 31 when she meets Mark through Jane and their other friends and they get to know one another on climbing weekends. And the thing that um, made him stand out on those climbing trips was the fact that he had very shiny, very brand new climbing gear, which is where the um, the nickname Flash Fist came from. And they've got another more disparaging name for his gear, or rack as they call it. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear. No, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Flash Mark had a tosser's rack, <laughs> which is... Um, you know, this idea of somebody who, you know, has all the gear and no idea or whatever. Those but she's not the judgmental type. It doesn't piss her off. You know, we were sort of quite an accepting bunch of sort of misfits and we were always very keen not to, you know, not to discriminate against people for for such things and not to be so hung up on our on our kind of trappings of, of the alternative lifestyle, like, like scruffier clothes and, you know less good climbing equipment and and more battered cars. In fact, he's quite different to the others. He's a bit of a cockney geezer from a working class background. He implies his money came from a slightly dodgy past. He sort of intonated he had a past of drug dealing and drug running. He doesn't go into detail about it. He's moved on now. He was very cagey about it. Yeah, He always kind of said, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. And his new friends, well, they don't pry. You know, but it came out piece by piece that he'd had a dodgy a dodgy experience, that he'd done some things that he was ashamed of, that he had done some things that were scary, um, that he had had to break with his old life and his old friends because it was all getting a bit too heavy. By the time he's living in Nottingham, Mark's straightened himself out. He's a skilled tradesman... He's got his flashy look and he's devoted to the cause. He'd discovered us, a group of environmental activists, and it had sort of suddenly given his life purpose when it hadn't had purpose before, that he'd been doing bad things and that he was, you know, we'd, we'd reformed him and made him a reformed character. The funny thing about lies is they often contain a little grain of truth. But Lisa, she doesn't know any of that yet. Before long, she falls for Mark. He was very attentive. You know, like he really thought I was worth taking the time to talk to. The way that he gave me his undivided attention was very alluring and quite, um, you know, quite intoxicating in some ways that it may, you know, it really, he was very good at making you feel like you were the most important person in the world. And the relationship moves up a notch when Lisa and Mark are in Iceland together protesting against a big hydroelectric dam that was um, being built in the wilderness in Iceland where they were kind of going to dam all the major glacial rivers and and really change the wilderness there. 
They share a tent for three weeks together. And then one day, they're blocking diggers from entering the building site. And Lisa decides to do something risky. And I ended up locking myself to this big digger with a D-lock around my neck. Yeah, you heard that right. She puts a D-lock, the sort of thick metal lock you might put around your bike when you're leaving it out overnight. Well, she puts one of those around her neck and attaches herself to the digger. Maybe it was just that kind of feeling of invincibility of youth. She thinks that should be enough to stop the digger from moving. But then the driver revs his engine. Is he going to move forward with Lisa attached by the neck? She could be strangled. Her friends panic and jump on the digger. And Mark was one of those people and he he actually um, opened up the engine and started just pulling hoses and, 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 and the engine stopped. That's an act of true devotion, isn't it? He tells it as the moment that he stepped in to save my life. But I guess it was moments like that that really did um, galvanise our relationship in the beginning because we'd been, we had stories, we'd had adventures, we'd been protesting together. He'd, you know, he'd proved himself as somebody who was willing to be on the front line just the same as everybody else. And after that, we were quite inseparable. But Lisa isn't the only woman in this tale crafting her own love story. But more on that after this short break. Hi, my name's Theodora Leloudis. I'm the podcast editor at The Telegraph, which really means I spend a lot of time talking to myself in padded studios and with large headphones on listening to hours and hours of audio. But it also means that I get to commission podcasts like this one and to give a powerful platform to those people whose stories need to be told, just like the amazing women you're hearing from on Bed of Lies. But doing justice to important stories, as I hope we've done on this podcast, takes time and it takes a skilled team. And that's where our subscribers come in. Without their contribution, we wouldn't have been able to make this show. So if you'd like to support what we're doing and to get unlimited access to the huge range of quality journalism on politics, sport, business, culture and much, much more, head to telegraph.co.uk slash lies podcast, where you can get your first 30 days access to The Telegraph online completely free. And after that, it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk slash lies podcast. Or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. 
Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so leases might not be the most typical start to a relationship. But these love stories, well, they're still pretty conventional. In fact, there's nothing that unusual about people falling for one another over a shared passion. And these women, well, they're attracted to men who are dedicated to left-wing politics, just like them. Take Lindsay, for example. When her Socialist Party friends introduced her to Carlo Neri in 2001, he seems unhappy. They tell her he's single and he's looking for a girlfriend. They want to set them up. He was immediately likeable, very open, intelligent. He, he seemed very kind and w- had this very appealing, sort of self-effacing, almost shyness about him, but a sense of humour as well. So, altogether, Lindsay's a bold Liverpudlian with an infectious laugh, so it's important that she finds him funny. She's one of those people who will put you at ease in a group of strangers. And Carlo, well, his parents are Italian, so he has olive skin, dark hair and very broad shoulders. I didn't think he was the devastatingly attractive the second I bumped into him. It was more his personality that I found to be an attraction. Lindsay and Carlo, they get on straight away. And within months, he organises a surprise trip for them both to Venice. To have booked us a holiday like that in a romantic location and it was so thoughtful and generous. It's December and the city's deserted. We walked the back streets and took photos of little alleyways and old rotten doorways. And it was really beautiful and really romantic. And it was it was like Venice was ours almost at that point. Because it was so cold, we'd nip back to the hotel room fairly often. I'm afraid a lot of our relationship was conducted, you know, horizontally. (laughs) And it's in this stunning setting that the new couple decide they're ready to confess something to one another, to open up for the first time. We really started to express love to each other. It felt like we were in love. Um... It was quite, I remember it being quite magical. We all know that feeling, the early days of a relationship, when you say you love each other, the small gestures that mean the world, a doe-eyed smile or a thoughtful gift. But it's the low moments when you really know you've met someone special. You know what I mean, those times when you're sick for the first time and maybe not looking your best. I had flu. He came round with a a mango and a bar of chocolate and I had white snotty tissues littered all around my bed like some sort of... Remember Rosa and her boyfriend Jim? The one she met at Reclaim the Streets? The guy who loves her use of coriander? Well, she's really ill and he pleads with her to stay at his place so he can look after her. Once she's there... She ends up moving in with him for good. Oh, okay. And I'd never had such a loving, attentive partner. And there was so much self-esteem and care attached to that. 
remember saying I didn't think I'd ever be so lucky to reach through to the sunshine in that way. And it was a sunny summer and we spent more time making food, making love. A lot of these stories come from what the women remember. And memory can be a fragile thing, can't it? Can you ever really trust your version of events? Did we spend that summer making love? Did he really look after me that well? These days, you might be able to answer some of those questions by looking at social media. Every stage is documented now. The photos on Instagram, videos on Facebook, voice notes sent one another in private. I know I've got plenty of those. The type you pour over after a breakup when you really shouldn't. The thing is, people don't really do that in the 90s. It's the early days of the internet and long before smartphones. But Alison does know how Mark looked at her. I, I, be, I was an English and media studies teacher, so I had a video camera. and at the school. She uses this camera all the time, at family meals, on holidays, even when she's mucking about at home, drunk after a night out, joking around in the kitchen. What they all have in common is how prominently they feature her new boyfriend, Mark Cassidy, the one from Birkenhead. So um, I'll start by showing you this video, which is something that I'm... I've spoken to Alison um, for hours and hours about her story. I've heard all the twists and turns. But it's her home videos that really stop you in your tracks when you know the whole thing. When you watch them, everything just seems so normal, so real. So this is Mark and me at my mum's, photograph of us in Brighton. And this is that karaoke that talked about before where he knew every word to um, Bohemian Rhapsody and is that you in a wig that's me in a wig that was his idea yeah and there you're both looking at the camera and singing together that's the only bit of the words I know <laughs> can you believe <laughs> Although my politics are radical, my um, sort of lifestyle is very conventional. Monday to Friday, she's up and out for work. You know, I was a teacher and regular hours, regular holidays, home. I was home, you know, normally by half five, the latest. Every evening, she cooks dinner. And he'd watch telly. We always watched Coronation Street and EastEnders, I think, but definitely Coronation Street. We loved the royal family. At the weekends, there might be a political event, something to do with the Colin Roach Centre. We would see my friends. We would see my family. We'd go to Friday night dinner. We're Jewish, so we'd have Friday night dinner at my mum's. And Alison's got a video of that, too. No. I'll be sick. Mark, it's sitting down. It's sitting down quietly. And when I finish, I'll... Just like Alison and Mark, Lisa and her boyfriend Mark, Flash Mark, the one with the tossers rack, they become entwined in one another's lives, part of the family. He met my nieces and my nephew. He um, he met my brother 
Um, he got on very well with my brother. When Lisa's father passes away, Mark does what's expected of any devoted boyfriend. He goes to the funeral. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he was in the in the mourners' car with my the second mourners' car with my cousins and with the extended family. So he was definitely seen as part of the family and and part of my support network on that day. And as she's grieving for her dad, he's there for her too. He was the closest person in my life. He was the person that I talked to about everything. He was the person that, you know, every single move that I would make in my life, whether that was, you know, starting to study or, you know, moving, changing living situation, anything, any large life events would be talked over with him. You know, anything to do with my family, I'd be discussing with him. He was with me by my side the whole time that I was grieving for my father. You know, these were large important things happening in my life and he was the person who was by my side. So we've now heard stories of how our four couples have fallen in love. They've travelled to adventurous places together and started building lives. And then there's a moment, a hint that things aren't quite what they seem and there's something bubbling under the surface, a secret. So there was one thing that was that was odd. Alison's boyfriend, Mark, he's getting more and more drawn into political activism. He's meeting with groups Alison isn't involved with, and she's suspicious. She wants to know what's going on. So one afternoon, she does something she's really not proud of. When he pops out to the shops, she rummages in his jacket pocket. I, I don't think I thought he was having an affair. I don't think it was anything to do with any other woman. I was I was looking for leaflets or something. I think I was looking for something, you know, that showed me that he... I don't know, something that political, really. And in the pocket, she finds an object. It's about three and a half by two inches. It's an everyday item, but something about it disturbs her. And it makes her ask, who is this man? Next time on Bed of Lies. What the fuck is this? What is this? He went white. He was in shock. He'd obviously been caught out. Bed of Lies is written by me, Cara McGugan, and produced by Sarah Peters at Tuning Fork Productions. The executive producer is Theodora Leludis and sound designs by Tom Pink. To stay on top of who's who in our story to see exclusive pictures of the men involved and to look inside my reporter's notebook. We'll be publishing a bit more every week at telegraph.co.uk forward slash bed of lies. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, sign up for 30 days free at telegraph.co.uk forward slash lies podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 